Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Thank you so much for being here on this Palm Sunday. We're going to open up with prayer, then I'm going to read a little bit of scripture here, but it's lengthy, so I won't have you stand the whole time. Father, our hearts are bowed to you. Illuminate our hearts this morning, we pray, with your word, God, that we would not be the same as when we walked in. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness. We worship you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everyone says... Amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here on this Palm Sunday. If you are friendly, it's always good to wave at your neighbor, especially if it's your spouse. This is a good idea. We're going to start out in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we celebrate what we know as Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. People laid palm branches down and put cloaks on the ground, and we'll read all that here in a minute. And uh, began to sing exactly what we heard on the screen, Hosannas, Hosanna, glory to God. So it's, whenever we say, I had the question this last week, why do we exactly celebrate Palm Sunday? Well, the reason why we recognize today, because we're about to move into what we would like to refer to as Holy Week. It's really a week that in some ways for the Christians should be set apart. Because it has everything to do with the trial, the crucifixion, and then our Lord and Savior raising again on the third day. Amen. So what we're doing today is kind of making a hallmark of saying we realize that we're fixing to go into that Holy Week. So we want to prepare ourselves. And that's going to be my challenge for us today. Is how do we as Christians use this next week to say, God, we know that we're going to celebrate Easter and we're going to have fun with that and everything that goes with that, even in our culture. You know, not everything's bad, amen. It's okay. I like to see Callie hunt Easter eggs when she was young and go through candy. Matter of fact, we did that yesterday out at Duncan Lake with a group of kiddos with special needs. We had a good time. But how many of us know in here that it's just not all about Easter bunnies and eggs, is it? It's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we turn our focus and our attention to that. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what the prophet, or what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread out their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd says, "This This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, not everybody in the crowd knew what was going on. I think some of them were just a part of it. But as we as Christians look at this and we have hindsight, we have the Word of God in front of us and things, um, things like that, I want us to make note that not everything in Christ's life was documented as well as the triumphal entry. In all four Gospels, it's mentioned in Matthew 21 and Luke 11. 
And um, then it goes again in, uh, or excuse me, in Mark 11 and Luke 19 and John chapter 12. And as I was studying this this last week, reading the different renditions of the story, I, I understood something, and it's exactly what we're going to be on for the next five or six weeks in our series, Victory. You know, victory doesn't always look like what we think victory should look like, does it? The more I serve Christ, the more I understand the things of Him and His nature, I understand that it doesn't always look like what I think it should look like. And many times, it doesn't turn out the way that I think it should always turn out. Can I get an amen on that one? So here's the King of the world, the Savior, the one that is to come, the one that people have been looking for. And He's not riding on a white steed. He's not riding with animals that represent pomp and circumstance and power. Yet He rides in on the colt of a donkey. And I have to pause for a moment and say, victory doesn't look like I think victory should look like. But if we're not careful, we miss the true victory because we make victory what we want it to look like instead of what victory truly is through Jesus Christ, which is not always what we think it looks like. And here, as I see our Lord and Savior riding in in the triumphal entry and all these amazing things going on, I'm thinking, what in the world? Why would you be on a donkey and of course we know that he rode in on a donkey because that represented peace it represented that that when kings would come in and, and and things of that nature on a donkey it was to represent peace but when they came in on a white horse on animals of power it was because we're here to dominate we're here to set up our authority and make you do what we want you to do and Jesus didn't do that he came in and he said today I set up peace but it's kingdom of Christ, and it's in our hearts and in our lives. And so many people around there were missing that, and I was thinking, a donkey of all things. How many of you guys have ever ridden a donkey? Do I have anybody who's ridden a donkey? I have been on a donkey once, and that was for a basketball game. That's a whole different story, a different day. It gets weird. Trust me, I'll save that one. But another time, I got to be, um, I got to, to ride a donkey, or a donkey was um, leading the cart that I was on. Where I lived at previous, we had a little community there, and a gentleman that lived in that community owned donkeys, and he was always out walking these little donkeys all the time. One time I was walking through the community, I was going home, and I was about 200 yards away from my home. And he rolls up on his little wagon, and those two donkeys pulling it, and he said, Matt, would you like a ride home? My first instinct was to say, no, I think I'll walk. But I thought, I can't be rude to this gentleman. Plus, I've never been in a cart pulled by donkeys, so why not? Now, let me tell you about this cart. I should have known. Hindsight's twenty twenty. When he rolls up and he's already sitting on it, it's a cart made out of a couple bicycle wheels and it looks very homemade. Probably going to not do it next time. I said, why not? So I got up on the cart with him, and of course we were two you know, large humans there on this little cart, so we were kind of smashed up against each other. And we take off, and I'm telling you guys, 50, 100 yards, the ride was really, really good. Then all of a sudden, everything changed. Because what I learned about donkeys is donkeys are going to do what a donkey wants to do. We understand that. So all of a sudden, we're taking off. Everything's looking good. They start veering left. Man, before it's all over with, we're running over a stop sign and into a fence, and man's whipping these donkeys and saying things I can't say up here, you know? And I'm thinking, I'm going to die! A hundred yards from my house, this is where it's all going to happen. And who wants to go out like that? Oh, Matt was a good man and loved Jesus. Just couldn't handle the two donkeys. Nobody wants that said at their funeral, you know? 
So I'm thinking, I got to get off this thing. Finally, I look at him. I said, thanks for the ride. And he's still in the fence, and I bail off that thing. He goes, now, are you sure? I said, I'm absolutely 100% sure. And I was thinking, so as I'm reading this, that was my experience, but it's so amazing that uh, Christ was able to ride on the colt of a donkey, and it shows that he has authority, supreme authority over all creation. He's sovereign. And as I read this triumphal story, I, I really gained some amazing things out of here that I, I want to share with you this morning to help us get ready for this next week. That's really my challenge, but understanding victory, that victory doesn't always look like we think it's going to look like. So not only can we apply these three things for next week, but in our life in general. You know, as I read this story and as I've read it out loud, one of the things that jumps out to me is I understand this, that Scripture champions people's opinion. Can I get an amen on that? As Christians, we have to view that Scripture champions people's opinion. Now, everybody's had opinions forever. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and, and he asks this question, who do people say the Son of Man is? I mean, he wants to know. And in other words, he's saying, what are people's opinions about me? I mean, he knows the disciples have been talking to each other, and they've been, they've been listening to what people are saying. And this is what they said. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And that's one of those great moments where Christ is really setting up for Peter where he looks at him. And he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah. And it's amazing as I look into that because I realize that there's people's opinion about Christ everywhere. We have to make sure that our opinion is not driven by what we think, but driven by Scripture. Let's look at, uh, here's some contemporary opinions about who Jesus is. So Napoleon Bonaparte, okay, one of the great generals in history. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions would die for him. What an incredible statement by one of the best, one of the greatest generals to ever leave, live. Here's John Lennon, a, 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 a peace activist, and he's passed on and things of that nature, and a great musician, a great artist. This was his conclusion on God. I believe in God, but not as one thing, not as an old man in the sky. I can agree with that, you know. I believe that what people call God is something in all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It's just that the translations have gone wrong. Can you imagine how many of that has led astray? Gandhi says this, A man who, has completely, who was completely innocent offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Can you imagine him saying that, but we never know if he was truly submitted his life to Christ or not? It's not just enough to know, is it? And then, of course, we have to go with the famous philosopher Brad Pitt. We need to know what Hollywood thinks about God. And this was actually from uh, why Brad Pitt turned away from religion in, in 07. I didn't understand this ideal of God who says, you have to acknowledge me. You have to say that I'm the best, and then I'll give you eternal happiness. If you won't, then you don't get it. It seemed to be about ego. I can't see God operating from ego, so it made no sense to me. You see all these different opinions that was formed about who Christ was and, and what he did, and even today in the contemporary light of things. 
And if we're not careful, what happens is we begin to shape our opinions based on other people's opinions. We begin to look at them and see their influence. Maybe they have some things that we would like to have, or maybe they have some influence that we would really like to have. And if we're not careful and sheltered, we, 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 we kind of step into that and let those opinions begin to impress upon us. And we must guard ourselves and always realize that Scripture champions man's opinion. The true victory in a person's life is realizing that it doesn't matter what the world says, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. Whenever I open my Bible and I look into it, that's what's going to matter because that word will stand forever. See, Scripture is given to govern our lives, and as Christians, that's what we must submit to. In Matthew chapter 21 and John chapter 12, as it's going over the triumphal entry, both of them quote Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now, this was written 500 years before the triumphal entry, and that's what's amazing because we can look at it and know that Scripture is true, that when God said it, it's going to happen. It doesn't matter whether people believe it's going to happen or people think it's going to happen or people want it to happen. It's going to happen. Amen. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. See, the scripture declares that he's a king. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. See, that encourages me because I realize that it's in Scripture and I can trust it and it's true. It doesn't matter who likes it, who doesn't like it. It really doesn't matter who's on my side or who's not on my side because Scripture tells me that if God be for me, who can be against me? So I can hold my feet on my firm foundation of Jesus Christ knowing that what you say goes. So I'll read Scripture and i celebrate this Palm Sunday with you knowing that it's true, Amen knowing that I can trust it. See, Revelation chapter 19, we should even get more excited because it helps us understand Christ's return. See, Jesus Christ is coming back. Can I get an amen? And it's not because somebody said he's coming back. It's not because somebody wants him to come back. It's because Christ said that he's coming back and we can stand firm on his word. Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. See, Revelation chapter 19 helps us understand that Christ is going to come back, and he's coming back on a white horse this time, not on a donkey, not on the colt of a donkey. And he's not coming back to make peace, is he? He's coming back with fire in his eyes, and he's going to crush his enemies and make them his footstool. And it's not because it's somebody's opinion. It's because that's what Jesus wrote. So we trust it. We trust it that one day he's going to return and the interesting thing about that is the armies will be behind him. But see, what I understand from Scripture, because I know it's true, we're not behind him because he needs us. <laughs> we're going to have a front row seat to seeing all authority and what all power truly means as he comes down on earth and he crushes the enemy, the principalities, the powers, these kingdoms that have set themselves up against our Most High God. Amen. And people's opinion can cause a little bit of fear to go through us, can cause us to question. People think they're higher than God. But Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the grass wither and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. So we trust it. We trust it. We understand that Scripture champions man's opinion. Does it matter whether people feel like Christ is coming back or they don't think he will or maybe they think he will? We're in the boat that we know he will. Amen. 
But that's not the reason why he's coming back. It's because we can trust Scripture and it's written in the book. There's nothing wrong with people's opinions. I, I like people's opinion. I think we're entitled to our opinion, but we know what opinions are. They're like armpits. Everybody has one. They kind of stink sometimes, don't they? But my opinions don't govern my life. Scripture has to govern my life. It has to govern our family. So this next week, my challenge is simply to you and to me. What can I do more with Scripture to make sure that it governs my life? As we walk into holy life, God, as we walk into holy week, could I sit down with my family and maybe say this week, every night we're going to do a devotion. Every night we're going to pray together. Every night we're going to read Scripture. I don't want my family to find out about Easter just from church, but I want them to find out from me as the man of my house what Easter stands for. What could we do this week? Could we get up as we're drinking our cup of coffee and, and, and flip through the Gospels as we look at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ and prepare our hearts as he has a trial and he is crucified, but he raises again. His blood was shed for the covering and the remission of our sins. His body was broken for our healing. So I remind myself of Scripture. I remind myself that it's not my opinion. It's not people who are popular in their opinion, but it's what Scripture says. And as I read the story and I look at the authors of the gospel, they didn't care about people's opinion. Peter didn't care about people's opinion. He knew it, but he needed the revelation from, his, from Father God. Amen? So he looked for it. You and I can get that same revelation, can't we, through Scripture? But see, that leads me to my next point here. It leads me to being excited about this, that participating champion spectating. See, as I, as I look at this story here and I look at the triumphal entry, I realize that being, be, be, participating always champions spectating. See, there's some people here, they're the ones that's cheering, and, they're, and, and then there's others that are gathering the donkeys, as Christ has said, and there's some that's gathering branches and throwing them in the streets, and people are taking off their clothes, their jackets, and putting them in the streets, and putting them on the back of the donkey the disciples are for Christ to ride. But then you have some who are just spectating. Now, I don't want to be naive enough to think that everybody in the crowd knew what was going on. I've been caught up in the crowd sometimes and just cheered to cheer. But I do know that there were Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes that were there, and they wanted to keep Christ at an arm's length. They knew the Scripture. They knew what was going on, but their hearts were so hardened, all they wanted to be was spectators. And whenever we get down and we begin to put ourselves in a place where we participate, it's a great place to be. At my house, I grew up eating a lot of potatoes. Did anybody else grow up eating a lot of potatoes? We ate a trainload of potatoes and hot dogs at my house, I can tell you that. A lot of that, I think, had to do with price and feeding four kids. But we ate a trainload of potatoes. Now, I wasn't as refined as many of you guys. We didn't always grow up and call them potatoes. Sometimes we just simply called them taters. Anybody else call them taters? Fried taters. How many likes fried taters? Baked taters. One of my favorite that not everybody likes, and I don't understand why, is sweet taters. Oh, my goodness, man. You put those in a pan, and then you put a little bit of crushed pecan on them with a little bit of melted marshmallow. They come out of the oven, and it's paradise. 
I love sweet taters. I think everybody should eat taters, but you know, there are some taters in my life that I don't want to have any part of. You know what I don't like when it comes to taters? I don't like imitators. I don't like those people who pose. Do you like those imitators? I don't like those guys. And I tell you, somebody else who gets on my nerves is sometimes those commentators. Those commentators get on my nerves. You know, they want to tell you how to do it, don't really have anything invested. Sometimes they remind me of a couch tater, you know what I mean? I don't like those guys either. But one of the taters that we really should stay away is being a spectator. See, spectating is, is very dangerous because spectating makes you feel like you're a part of it. Man, you're in the Coliseum, you're, you're watching your, your team play, and you feel like you're down there, but you're really not, man. You're in the stands. You're not the one that's getting blasted with the football or dunking the basketball or coaching or getting water. You, come on now. But, but it's very dangerous because it feels like you're a part. God, maybe you're sweating a little bit. Maybe your voice is hoarse from screaming. you got a little bit of monetary investment. But the truth is we walk out and whether the team wins or lose, our life really doesn't change that much. One of the articles that I was reading about a gentleman that was talking about being out in the wild. And he said one of the most dangerous things about being out in the wild is whenever you come to a river crossing. He said because on the top it kind of looks calm. He said but then you begin to step your foot into it as you get deeper and deeper. He said you really know how you don't really know how strong that undercurrent is and it can sweep you away. So it kind of gives you a false reading. You think you can make it, a, make it across the, the river and before you know it, you're swept down the river. I like to fly fish. I've been fly fishing a couple times in my life and I love it. First time I ever went fly fishing, I went up to Colorado when I was probably in my 20s and I had a pair of waders. And I remember getting those waders on and stepping out into that creek not really knowing what I was getting into because the creek wasn't really that wide at all. But once I got out in the middle of it and that water hit about my knees, I could feel the force of the current. Oh, it was beautiful going down in it. It didn't look that strong. It kind of gave you a false reading. And then I got in it, and I realized that, man, it took a lot of strength to stand there and not be swept down the, down the river. In fact, I was thinking that if I would have stepped out and slipped on a rock, I would have been 100 yards down the river before I'd known what to do. Because it's dangerous because it gives you a false reading. And being a spectator kind of does the same thing. Because you think you're in a good place, but truthfully, you're really not in a place where you're participating, you're just spectating. This is what Paul says about spectating. Paul's writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and it's very interesting because he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. So I don't know if he wrote other letters to Timothy, but we just know First and Second Timothy. And he's writing in chapter 6 here, and, and he, he commands him to do this, if you will. He instructs him, I guess is a better word. He says, so imagine saying, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life. What is he saying there? He's saying, Timothy, you no longer can act like a spectator. You are a participator. You are in Christ, and you are to go after the things of God. You are to get in the ring and get ready to fight and know that sometimes you have to put on the boxing gloves and go after what God has called you to go after. You can no longer just sit on the outside, but we're putting our life, investing it. He even goes as far as says, listen, take hold of eternal life. What is he saying? Grab a hold of it and don't let go at all costs. Whatever worldly things you have to give up, don't be afraid to give up those things. But whatever you do, son, don't let go of Christ. Because you're not a spectator. 
Christianity is something we participate in. Didn't look like much laying down the palm branches, but they did more than the people who were over on the side judging. Didn't look like much putting the cloaks on the back of the donkey, but it wasn't like it is today where people own 50 cloaks and they have them in their closet and they just go get a new one. Took off their cloaks, which might have been the only one they had, and laid it down on the road and letting one of the lowliest animals walk across it. Maybe even just spreading a little bit of manure on it as he goes across. But see, they understood something that very few people understood. They understood it wasn't about the donkey. It was about who was on the donkey. And as we realize that, it causes us to move to where we participate. See, spectating is so dangerous because it puts us in a place where we think we're a part of it. See, it's not merely enough to be in the presence of Christ. What we must push to is that the presence of Christ is in me because that's what will change me. The presence of Christ is important to be, to be a part of and feel God moving. But I, what I want is the living God to be inside of me because I know that's what will change me. That's what will convict me. That's what will lead me and guide you, guide us. Participating, not spectating. Paul continues, I love it, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you got to love Paul. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, he writes those words knowing that this could be one of the last times, and we know that it has to be one of the last times that he wrote Timothy. And in a lot of ways, he's causing Timothy kind of step up in maturity and say, listen, son, my, my life's about over, but yours is really just beginning in ministry, and you've got to continue to fight. But I want you to know, son, that, see, I've practiced what I've preached. I, I haven't been a spectator. I've been participating in this. And, and I don't imagine as Paul's writing this, <clears throat> I don't imagine as Paul's writing this, he's, he's writing this as some crumpled up old dry old man that he can't wait to die and get off of earth, but rather I imagine him writing it in a much different way as he sits down and however he transcribes it, whether he transcribes it through somebody or he writes it with, with hands that have been broken, no doubt, by the hitting of things. A person who has scars and wounds from shipwrecks and snake bites and beatings, and he sits down to his young protege and he says, I fought the good fight of faith, Timothy. I haven't been a spectator. What I have done is been a participator. This next week, what could God speak to you to help you participate to a greater extent in the kingdom of God? Has he been dealing with your heart about giving, about serving? As we walk into Holy Week here, what could we all do how could the Spirit of God speak to us to maybe even create a new habit, a new situation in our life to bring us closer to God? Because we're close to God as we walk with God, not as we just watch God. But I would say this, if you have to be a tater, be a sweet tater. <laughs> Look at your husband or wife and say, be a sweet tater. Don't be... Don't be an onion. <laughs> be a sweet tater. 
but let's participate. Let God speak to you. Yeah, it didn't look like very much at the time, but I will say this. I wasn't the one in the crowd, and I don't know the sacrifice that people gave. I know that a lot of them drew lines in the sand that day and said, this is who I believe our coming king is. Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the one who comes in the name of the Lord. As I continue, there's something else that I see here, and this is really the final thing here. One of the reasons why we can have courage as we participate is because of this, understanding that relationship champions religion. As I look in this story, as I look in the triumphal entry, it, encur- triumphal entry, it, it, it encourages me because I realize the, the nature of relationship and how God wants a relationship with us, amen? See, people couldn't handle this. The Pharisees, the scribes, the, the leaders of, of Israel could not handle this. They could not let go of their old dry religion. And that's not my words, that's Christ's words when he says, you guys are like dead man's bones, man. And they could not let go of that. And he was pushing them to relationship. But it was the common man. It was the men and women who received the message with gladness that said, God, you want a relationship with me and I can walk with you? Let's do it. And it's a great thing to know that I don't have to be stuck with religion, but I can be encouraged with relationship. A couple thoughts. Religion only shows what we should not do. Relationship with Jesus shows us what we can do. Amen. Relationship shows us, or excuse me, religion shows us what we are against. Relationship with Christ helps us find what we are for. Religion shows us how we will never measure up. Relationship with Christ shows us how we can measure up. Religion concentrates on what we have to stop doing. Relationship with Christ concentrates on what we need to start doing. Instead of looking at all the things that we need to stop, we all have things. I mean, if you sit down in a room, almost none of us are are better from somebody going down the line saying, you need to stop this, 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 and this. Like, I already know that, man. (laughs) Let's concentrate on what we can do on the goals that Christ has put in our life to be more like him because it's not religion, it's relationship. If we look at all the other religions in the world that's out there and even some that say they're Christians but they're really relig- stuck in their religiosity and things, we understand that that's not relationship, man. It, it, there's some ebb and flow to this. I'm, I'm thinking that God is pushing me this way and there's some things but then I feel the Holy Spirit tug at my heart and begin to convict me and then I begin to walk this way, Amen. And I begin to realize that it's just not about the 10% of tithing. That's a great place to start. I begin to realize it's not just about a little bit of my time. That's a great place to start. But I let God speak to me. I let God communicate with me. See, in religion, all I have to do is read and follow the steps. In relationship, I have to listen. I have to be plugged in. I have to make sure that my life and my spirit is open to the living God that we're soft and that we're sensitive. John chapter 15, Jesus puts it like this with relationship versus religion. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. I love Jesus because he lets us know he doesn't hide anything. (laughs) We're not the vine, we're the branches, amen? Whoever abides in me and I in him 
he it is that bears much fruit. Pastor Mike and I talk about that all the time. Our life is not supposed to be just a bunch of don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. But let's get swayed to the side of, God, you want to do much with my life. Let me bear much fruit in my relationship with you. And then he goes on and he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Don't you just love how he sets this up? <laughs> He's so honest and truthful in his relationship. It reminds me of understanding the need for covenant. It's not a contractual relationship in a marriage. In my marriage, whenever I married Mary, I understood that it was a covenant. Now, I didn't understand what everything meant, but I knew that a covenant is different than a contract because in a contract, as long as you do your part and I do my part, everybody's happy. In a covenant, it's going to be different. It's like I'm going to do my part no matter what. That's the reason why whenever you stand before your wife, you said in sickness and health, for richer or poorer, because I don't know your status and what it's always going to be or my status, but what we're going to do is bring 100% to the table all the time. If mine happens to be more this month than yours, it doesn't matter. We're not going to love any less or any more, amen? And I look at Scripture and I see, thank God, that I'm tied into that relationship with Christ because he's never lacking, is he? Isn't it amazing that he wants us to be in a relationship he doesn't want us just to look at it as an old, dry religion, but it's an opportunity to walk step, to walk hand in hand with our Lord and Savior. What a great opportunity to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit. What a great opportunity it is to look down in the Word of God and see it jump out and grasp our life and say, this is the way you need to go. This is what you need to do. And then we feel that peace deep down. Christopher Reeve, the original Superman. Do y'all know who that is, Christopher Reeve? Unfortunately, he broke his back in a horse riding accident. And this is what he said. When the unthinkable happens, the lighthouse is hope. Once we find it, we must cling to it with absolute determination. See, this is the thing, the reality for all of us is that obstacles can stretch us. Difficulty can stretch us. And that's good. Because the reality is a kite never flies up into the air unless the wind puts resistance on it and pushes it up and stretches it out. So if we're going to fly like we need to fly, difficulty, resistance is a part of what we got to do. But whenever we face difficulty after difficulty or resistance after resistance and we're all alone, see, then it can turn into trauma and fatigue. It's something that we cannot do by ourself too much too long is more than we can bear and we look in scripture and we see these men who all they had was their religion and not a relationship and they turned into hard-hearted men with the truth staring them in the face fulfilling the prophecies that they knew still could not penetrate their heart And I look at that and I think, God, help me to have a relationship with you. That I don't look at the Bible as a bunch of to-dos or to-don'ts. But rather, it's an opportunity to be in a relationship with you because relationship always champions religion. See, even Superman knew that we needed hope. None of us are Superman. That's the reason why we've got to have Christ. And he 
requires the reality of saying, I want to be in relationship with you. And as I read the triumphal entry, my heart is broken, but I'm excited and I'm grateful because I realize he's riding in on a donkey in peace because he wants a relationship with the whole world is what John 3.16 says. This next week, what could we do to say, God, we want to make sure that Scripture is where it needs to be. We want to make sure that we're a participant. But God, is there anything that's blocking my relationship with you? As we walk into Holy Week, is there unforgiveness there? Is there difficulty? Is there doubt? Because I just want to lay it at your feet as we concentrate on Easter and our risen Savior and celebrate all the things that come with that. And if you're here this morning and you say, Matt, I, I don't know where to start. Well, I want to encourage you, the first place to start is always salvation. Amen. It's always bowing your heart before Christ and saying, you become the landlord of my life and my heart. But for us, I want to encourage you this morning. We're just not always as far away as we think we are. Those little changes, those little calibrations in our life to say, God, at the end of this week, I want to be closer to you than when I started. And if we learn anything from the triumphal entry, we understand that nobody wants to be closer to us than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you're new here this morning, I want to invite you to come down to the front. We love to dismiss as a family down here at the front. And if you guys would go ahead and make your way. If you're new, we're not going to embarrass you. You're not joining the church. We just love to come together and pray for one another. Pray that what's been spoken this morning would touch our hearts and our lives. As you walk down here, I just encourage you, let the Lord speak to you. What can you do this week? What challenge could we take as we go into Holy Week? Say, God, I want to be closer to you than when I started. Father, you know the desires of our hearts. Now, as we all come down, find somebody to pray with. If you're beside somebody, that's awesome. Just look to the left and look to the right. If you don't know them, you know their face, and that's great. And we're just going to pray for what we've studied today, but we're also going to just pray for our neighbor's health and grace and mercy. Can we do that together? Father, we thank you for your love and what we feel at the altar this morning. We thank you that whenever we open up the Word, we can learn so much that it jumps out and grips our heart, God, and we're so grateful for that as we look on the triumphal entry and we realize, God, that Scripture is the ultimate authority, God, that you've allowed us to be participants in faith, God. And at the same, God, you want us to have a relationship with you more than we could ever imagine. So for that, we're grateful. God, as we go into Holy Week, let us be challenged to grow closer to you. Let us be challenged, God, to do the things that we need to do that you speak to us, Father. And let us do it with hearts ablaze. As we've looked to our left and we've looked to our right and we stand with that person in faith, we pray for healing. We pray for provision, God. We pray that you would move mightily in their life for what's on their heart, God. Thank you for your goodness, your grace. We stand on the firm foundation of you, Jesus Christ, knowing that you hear us, that you love us, and Father, that we can trust you and we thank that. We thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, everyone says, amen. amen, amen. We love you guys so much. 
We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.